Saying low, Apple Music. Metallica this week in the interview series, all four members lined up performing. Never happened in my lifetime, and I see it very rarely in other conversations too. Normally, they'd split them up individually or do it in pairs. But this was a special occasion, you know, celebrating milestones with 30 years of the Black Album and 40 years of the band. And so, you know, I guess that's a reason to, to get everybody together in a row. Also, the sense that I got from being in the room with them was that they had missed being the band. That the last 18 months of quarantine and I'm sure there were times they created and came together and did work and business and whatnot but the Metallica machine like every other machine just slowed down to a still space and I got the feeling that everybody coming together again was something that they'd missed and they were really looking forward to and that really leads the conversation as well into a very deep and honest place talking about the legacy of the band open conversations about Jason Newstead and his legacy after his departure of course a real point of contention certainly within the fans and that's been well documented in the movie Some Kind of Monster which I'm actually in weirdly in a few scenes I got longer hair and I'm wearing some kind of leather jacket it's probably pleather knowing me back then but I'm in that movie and I got to spend four days out of their HQ while they were finishing the album St. Anger and I got to see the whole creative therapy environment firsthand. That movie is stunning by the way and we talk about that movie in a bit of depth in this conversation not to try to go over old ground but because I think that the conversation around mental health and certainly within the arts has changed so dramatically we forget that when some kind of monster came out it was greeted with a certain amount of sort of snide derision or cynicism it's like oh the tough guys of rock have gone to therapy oh boo hoo look at the rich Metallica guys going to therapy boo hoo and I think that that movie and the message that's come from it now has been far more widely adopted within the arts and we realize now the trade is tough and the business is hard so once again Metallica you know every time they do something that people just go oh Metallica man what are they doing stupid and then 5, 10, 15 years later everybody's doing it that's why they're Metallica that's why they're the Winter Olympics curling final because even if you don't care about curling you'll watch that one So even if you don't care about heavy metal, you'll sure as f*** go to a Metallica show once in your lifetime. Enjoy the conversation. What I used to do a lot when we were recording, we had a crazy night in the studio. And, you know, it's like one or two in the morning and you're out in Lancashire in Studio City and you're so wired. uh, But you didn't want to go, like, engage or anything. You just kind of want So I would just drive. And when I came in the other night, landed, it was like, like midnight or one or something, I was driving back, I go, all these freeways look exactly the same yeah. as they did 30 years ago when I was driving around at one o'clock in the morning trying to come down yeah. after a long night in the studio. And then, of course, your head starts going, but in 1990, 30 years earlier, in 1960, it looked hella different. I do the same thing. And when I first moved here, I just felt so alienated, especially in London where it's just so grid-like and everything just feels tactile and within reach. And I came here and I was like, I don't know where anything is. I don't know where to go. Everything seems closed off and secretive. This is weird. And I'm weird, but this is really <laughs> weird. Yeah. You know, this is even too weird for me. Yeah. And so I just drove for weeks at night. And, I, and I, it was awesome, actually, because I saw that side of L.A., which is really dark. I saw that after dark LA, when the sun goes down and those, the sepia lights of those streetlights comes out. There's, there's definitely an underbelly tale. I've always felt that as much as it becomes the, the, the fact of destination for, you know, I'm an aspiring actor, screenwriter, musician, artist, whatever, I'm going to go to LA and make it. When you sort of penetrate yeah. the area, really, it feels like most of the people that are here are the ones that failed in that mission. Well, that's why it is so dark after dark, because you spend all day putting your best foot forward, and then after dark you go home and you lament that it didn't happen for you that day. So there's this right. weird energy after dark of people trying to get their confidence back up and disappearing exactly. and putting themselves back together. <laughs> and it's really interesting. interesting place like that, you know? Then they go out in the day and they're like, hey, what's up, I'm Zane. And then at night they go home and they go, <laughs> it's, it's a rough, rough roller coaster ride this time. But I've always felt like the... The, the kinship with the people that came out here to live that dream mm. and to, to experience that dream that never made it. Mm. I mean, they, it, L.A. is, what, 75% of those people that came out here and it, it never happened? That leads to, to a really interesting question. Have you ever thought about what would have happened if you'd stayed in L.A. and you hadn't had the incentive <laughs> to leave L.A.? 
because a big part, I think, of what helped you define who you are as a band was the space to be left alone and not be reminded that there was a whole lot of competition and labels and business around. It's pretty interesting because uh, I have some high school buddies that you know I visit quite often, and they're they still live here and they have just kind of a normal life in Costa Mesa or wherever they are. And yeah. I often wonder. Uh, well, I do love that I love their simplicity, you know, but they're not caught up in more of the Hollywood scene. And, and yeah, for us, it could have been very different, could have been uh, even darker <laughs> than it already is as far as the darkness and the, like you said, the, oh, mm. you know, there's the, the, the daytime face and then there's the nighttime sadness of L.A. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's so many what ifs. Well, you know what being in a band is? It's that in reverse, isn't it, for a lot of your life? It's the, it's the nighttime yay and the daytime sadness. <laughs> I, I think for us, to a degree, you know, we were so fueled by, you know, when we were down here by ourselves in LA, we were so contrary to everything that was going on on the strip and the clubs, the music scene down here that, I mean, we were just fueled by, 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 the contrariness mm. and then when we got, went to San Francisco it was felt that there was the first time that we that we belonged to something there was people up there that were like us there mm. were people up there that were listening to the same music that felt like we did and and you know there was there was a whole kind of um sort of like a, a collection of misfits up in San Francisco especially in the East Bay that was sort of like all the, the same ilk as us and it, it gave us it was the first time I think we felt the, the sense of belonging to any place, which we certainly didn't hear. When Cliff called up and said, after me harassing him for six months, Cliff Burton, uh, yeah. our bass player, said, I'll join on one condition, which is you come to San Francisco. I mean, yeah. we, we were out of here before I hung the phone up, you know? It was funny, you can hear it in the music. I mean, for me to be really basic about it, I mean, you go back to the first song that most people heard from the band, which was Hit the Lights, and you hear that, you know, here's a group of young guys who are just trying to manifest this, this dream come true. Literally, you wrote a manifestation, right? You know, we're gonna do this for the rest of our lives. We're gonna rock your socks off. This is it, it's all over, forget about it. It starts right here, right now. And I feel like it was so, Naive, it could only have been done in that environment that you were in before you went to San Francisco, you know? Like, I guess this is what we have to write in a weird way. Interesting. We were asked a little earlier, you know, what was plan B? It's like, well, plan B was making plan A work. I mean, as simple as that, because there was no other plan. It was, we're going to do this, and if it doesn't work out, then whatever happens, happens. And but real, honestly, that's that's what happened throughout our careers. We don't know what's happening next. We'd let let the uh, let the challenges come to us, and then mm. write about them, use them as what they're supposed to be, which is experiencing life. Yeah, there was a goal, but our goals changed as you know. Our goal is to get a tour bus, and okay, now we got that. Now we're gonna go on tour with a bigger band, and then this, and then that, and. You know, the, the slow, constant climb up. Your albums at one point went in at like 200, 150, 100. They literally were going like in sort of even numbers up the charts each time. It was like taking steps with each record. Well, it's kind of the classic European way. I mean, just growing up in Denmark, uh, you know, Thin Lizzy, Rainbow, different bands would come and they would play at a place, you know, the size of this and then, you know, Two years later, they'd play size twice as big, and then four years later, they'd play four times as big. So it was that classic European way, and, and I think, um, mm. in retrospect, that was the best thing that could have happened to us because I don't think either of us would have been fully equipped to deal okay, with yeah. like zero to 10 million like overnight, like yeah. happened to some of the other bands that came up in the 80s and in the early 90s. So the fact that we had five albums to sort of adjust to the eventual success of the Black Album was such a blessing. You know, you talk about the, the, the European influence and the idea of what brought you together in the first place. And, and my final question, directed to just the two of you before you even joined the band, Kirk, is what made you want to answer that ad in the first place? Because <laughs> you didn't have to. And that was the moment that changed everything. I suppose so. Uh, that was the only way to meet other musicians. And, you know, I was going to a couple different schools that didn't really have you know, uh, there there were other other bands doing you know 
uh, covers and playing parties and stuff like that. Uh, when I moved to Orange County uh, after uh, my mother passed, I was living with my brother in Orange County. I mean, there was no other option. I went there and there was nobody in that school that played rock or, or anything really. It was, you know, like 4-H or sports and not a lot of music scene. So it was, I was craving, craving that. That was what I loved and what spoke for me, to me, all of that. So I knew I wanted to do it and yeah, well, pre-internet, uh, yeah, it was the recycler and that was it. I guess there was only like, that was the only letter that was there that actually got your attention. I can't imagine there was a whole long line of people saying, hey, I'm into heavy metal. Do you want to come and make some with me? No, it was, let's drive to Hollywood and meet other musicians, you know, and... What you're really saying, James, is that 40 years of success by default. Because you were the only ones making it. Like, you had Listen, to make it work uh, in, a, in a I think way. that by default, Monica, you're going to attach to, you know, most of this. I mean, who would know? I mean, feeling the gratitude, the, 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 the appreciation, and, and, and how all of this has kind of been able to manifest itself for almost four decades. I mean, who could fucking think that 40 years ago that, that this hit the lights, the... The, the the energy of that tune and 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 then the, what that led to could lead to where this sits today you know without getting into any of the but just the if you break it down to that yeah in itself the fact that that we would still be here i mean it just you know even at that time you know when uh, Pete Townsend and and Roger Dalton were talking about I hope I die before I get old. I mean that was the that was the spirit of rock and roll. Rock and roll wasn't supposed to age. Mm -hmm. Rock and roll wasn't supposed to live on like this. So the fact that 40 years later we're here, the fact that again you know that the Rolling Stones are going out on tour, obviously Charlie rest in peace uh, and so on. But it, 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 it who knew there was a drive. I mean really there was. I was trying to find people that had the same drive to do this that I did. And a lot of my friends were, yeah, sure, I'll be in your band, and well, what songs do you know? And it was, you know, it was the path of finding all those people that didn't work to find another person as driven as Lars who had come over from Europe and had all of this knowledge of, you know, traveling with bands, uh, the business side of things, a huge plethora of, uh, different kinds of music for me to just be a sponge and just going over to his house after the ad and just soaking all that up, you know, just finding someone else that had the same drive was so, uh, such a gift. God, drive is such an important part of it. I think, you know, we romanticize the luck and the talent and the, and the success, but we, a lot of times we ignore the work ethic that's required to succeed. It's not the sexiest part of it and you have to have it. And so, James, for you, at that moment in time, if I may be so bold, have you, have you gotten better at understanding where that drive was coming from? It's good to, to, to think directly about that. And when you were first saying that, the word drives, like, well, it was just what I, what I was doing, what I wanted to do. That, it was as simple as that. There wasn't a lot in the rest of my life. My family had kind of disintegrated. Um, the people at my school I couldn't relate to. So me and the music became best friends. And I just wanted to learn as much as I could about what music had to offer me. You know, putting certain songs on the turntable, slowing it down, you know, to learn the solo things and all that, and then playing cover songs in a band. And um, there was, so the word drive was like there, was, there wasn't much else. It's a getaway clause. It's like I need to go and get somewhere else. And this is going to allow me to construct an identity that allows me to start new. Because where I'm coming from, it ain't working for me. Yeah, I, that is awesome. Because yeah, I wasn't happy where I was. I wanted to be somewhere else. And music took me there. Where were you when you got the call? What was your life saying? It depends on what call you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> when your life changed. I mean, I have to say, 
playing guitar and like discovering a type of music that was just like a little different from all the music that my peers were listening to was a major thing. I mean, uh, uh, recognizing that I was uh, attracted to a certain type of music that was, you know, really energetic, uh, aggressive, but also so emotional at the same time, you know, and a plethora of other other emotions, and like discovering this music, and then kind of like realizing that yeah, this is where I want to take my guitar playing. I mean, that was a, a major, major thing. And then discovering, you know, when I asked around, that not, like, I couldn't really find anyone else who was into this, uh, this type of music other than just literally like two or three other friends. Yeah. You know, and it was a point of like, I love this music and I want to I create this type of music. And so I, you know, I found a band, a band called Exodus, and then I just totally, we just totally got into this new wave of British heavy metal and it was our world. It was our entire musical world. And we wanted to live in it 24 seven and create more of it. And so that's actively what we were doing. We were just trying, trying to create more music, like the music that we heard and that we loved. And you know, that was a real driving sort of force for me in the beginning, you know, it's making more of this music that just sounds tougher, you know, it's more fun to play, if, you know, it feels right from way inside my, my heart and my gut. And there's no settling, that's the other thing. Two of the things I love so much about Metallica and about the legacy is that for the most part, and there have been obviously times throughout your lives individually and as a band where you've gone and you've, you've lived your life and you've, you've lived a successful life and all the trappings that come with that, but the overarching, feeling about Metallica was that you serve at the altar of the music. Yeah, I mean, you know, I get the sense, and I know this for myself, but I've always got the sense that we all expect so much more from ourselves, almost like an unre unrealistic expectation. But look where it's led, you know? And I, I always say to myself, it's, I, I expect so much, and a lot of times I, I fall flat by, by, by my own expectations, but, you know, at the same time, it, it actually, you know, I, we all get results from that. And I think that's something that we all share is just we want just that much more from ourselves and from the music and from each other. And I think that's a real defining characteristic of this band. It's just that we just like, we're never ones to just like kick back, sit down on the couch and just watch our, love, our, our life go by and congratulate ourselves. You know, we're not about that. We're about what's right around that corner. And that was the primary point that was made when, when the guys called you and asked you to play a part in this, because when you're young and in a band, see if I can phrase this right, and a, a member of the band departs for substance abuse, a lot of your contemporaries who are young and in bands are like, isn't that the point? Like, and then you call him up and go, you got to join this band, but we just kicked a guy out because he's not clean. And you're like, am I clean enough to join this band? Like, it's just an interesting call to get at a young person <laughs> at a young age. Does that you make know, sense? It was, in that particular point in time, it was all about, you know, playing the music, but, you know, also like, yeah, and drinking, but you had to, Give it some sort of balance, you know. What is that? And what? we gave it. We might have, might have given it, you know, you know, some sort of balance, but you know, it's it was just like. Yeah, I, but, just I think mean, it's fascinating. When I got the call from from uh, uh, Mark Whitaker, who was working with these guys, yeah. you know, it made perfect sense to me because we're I was coming from the same musical place as these guys. Yeah, yeah. But you know, separately, you know, I I was. Uh, uh, into this music with my friends up in the Bay Area and just happened to be the same stuff that these guys were into. And so, you know, I understood where they were coming from musically because I was coming from the same source and like, like listening to all the same stuff. So it was very easy for me to just go, yeah, I get this instantly. This is like, this is what I want to do. And, you know, 
The ironic thing is when I left Exodus, then I started in high school and I started playing with these guys. I felt more at home with these guys than I did the band that I, I started in Which high school. Which is a wild observation because anyone who's ever been a fan or knows the story of Metallica, and I mean this with the utmost love and respect, knows that the bond that you two have, the union that you share is brotherly. I mean, you love each other, but you've also had challenges that only family can have. And yet you somehow, and I think this is a testament to you and your ability to find a spiritual glue wherever you seem to be able to go, didn't seem to, didn't seem to affect you? That it was like, how do I fit into this union that well, as I complicated mean, I, I, as it is? I mean, it's, it's more so just like, you know, what does the music need and what can I bring to the music? You know, it's just like, not more, not like, you know, okay, list, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. I mean, listen to the music. What can I bring to it? You know, there's obvious gaps in here that, you know, need to be filled. And that was always been my approach. You know, it wasn't about, okay, you know, he's going to play this, he's going to, I'm going to play this, you know, divvying it up. We never do that. I mean, we, it's all instinctual. It has been ever since I've joined this band. You know, it's just like... It's this way we all work. We just kind of nat naturally settle into to our parts and, and everyone kind of just has a feel for, you know, who should do what. You make us sound better. That's the greatest thing anyone joining a band could ever hear from bandmates. <laughs> you make us better, man, is the quote. Like, I cried the first time I saw that because that's what everybody who's a musician dreams of hearing when you join your dream band. Yeah. And the reason I bring it up and just kill the timeline for a second is because we're talking about what it is to, to, to begin to exist in an existing chemistry. Bands don't survive without chemistry. When the harmony goes, I'm not talking about the musical kind, you're doing it for the money and that's it. How was it for you, looking back on that now, that you are a legacy player and an essential part of the legacy of this band and ongoing? Well, you know, obviously going back to when I first really met the guys in Metallica, which would have been actually probably preceding the Black Album around town when they were recording the Black Album, seeing them around, hanging out. I mean, it was a great, we were talking about this earlier, it was a really exciting time to be in Los Angeles because everybody was writing and recording their records with their producers in the various studios. But at the same time, every night there was a different place to hang out with these people. There was just a lot of excitement in rock and roll uh, with lots of different bands. I mean, it, it was kind of, everything was on full tilt. The new bands were like Alice in Chains, you know what I mean? And I was playing in Suicidal Tendencies at the time, and we had made a record that uh, I guess Lars uh, seemed to like and we were able to tour with Metallica and open for them in 1993. So um, for me to watch Metallica every night and also even funny things like, you know, we would get to eat their leftover, you know, dinners when they leave. I never told you guys this, but we'd actually, they, you know, and it wasn't like we were stealing That's it. That's dangerous, be, man. We'd be offered it. You know, I got my first, my first official bonus. I'll never forget that. I believe it was in Europe and we were summoned to, uh, you know, go, go meet, meet them in their, uh, their tour lounge, I guess you'd call it. And we were handed each an envelope with uh, cash. It's about a thousand dollars, and that was the most money I'd ever made or seen through music. So, wow, all these things take me back. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, you're fat. Yeah, he doesn't remember, but <laughs> don't. <laughs> well, I'm not remember. sure Kirk was signing the PO, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, he goes, Wait, I gave you a thousand dollars. Hold on, I want that money back. Yeah. Huh? I'm just gonna bounce a check here. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you spell your name? Yeah, <laughs> but it, and it was just so kind and, and amazing. Was that on your mind? when you were auditioning and was that the Rob you remembered or, or were you sort of, cause so much time had passed between then, was it a different, a different experience when you saw Rob for the first time? And all of a sudden it's like different now. It's not like you're on tour drinking Jägermeister and eating scraps, man. You know, you, you're trying to join a band and you got to get a bass player. Yeah, with Rob, I mean, when we were getting to that point of, of needing to find a bass player, you know, when Rob was on the list, I'm just thinking, no way he's going to join us. He's 
he's too amazing. I mean, he's too spectacular. I mean, the things that he's got going on. Yeah. I mean, he's so connected and he's so wanted and needed. You know, he's just, he's, he'll, he's he might so show up as so a good. kind of <laughs> right. a, uh, a kind gesture and play right. and then, yeah, He's thanks, Jason guys. Bourne is what you're saying. Like, he, he ain't <laughs> taking a day job. Right. Yeah, he didn't need it. Uh, he'll, be, he'll be fine without us. Um, but when he did play, uh, I mean, whoa, okay. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I, there were a few other people I had in mind. And then when Rob showed up, it was like, okay, this is, this is, there's that great he scene fills in, us so a much. Great scene in the documentary film where you're like, you're like, you know any others? And it's like, he's really <laughs> fucked you up. Like, he's just, well, they were, they were you. throwing oh, songs at me that I hadn't um, officially worked out because I got the call to come in and play, I believe it was on a Thursday, I think I was in Tahiti, mm. and all of a sudden I realized uh, that I was gonna be at a friend of mine's birthday party in the Bay Area, Mike Borden actually, and that was a Saturday night. So I was flying into LA from Tahiti to go to a, a birthday party in San Francisco. Lars says, oh, that's great, why don't you come in on Monday and, and uh, you know, come hang out with us. And, so everything was happening so quickly. I didn't really have a lot of time to, to you know, take all the material in. I knew uh, Battery fairly well. Did you know that was such a flex? Being one of the most singularly challenging songs in the repertoire for you to well, pull that one out of the hat. Well, and say, I was I just that. lucky you that know, like, I, I, I had the feel for that one. You know, the the, the kind of the gallop and everything, and yeah. I had a bit of that in my in my former band, uh, Suicidal Tendencies. So. I felt I could identify with that, and if any, if there's any f song that would have some sort of impact, yeah, right. At exactly. least it's that one. Exactly. You know what I mean? Everyone's gonna play Sandman or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. and then I remember—I don't know if they remember this—but they were like, you know, can you play "Sad but True"? And I didn't really know that one, but I had to kind of figure it out on the spot. Now, the good thing about "Sad but True" is that's a feel—a feel song that you got to have kind of this kind of groove. Um, feel and and I felt connected to that so I was really happy that they kind of offered that as a as a song to to jam on so I felt I was tested on a few different levels you know um, there's this, the speed the feel you know the, kind of the swagger of the song a song like actually a song like battery has a certain thing you know it's special and not everybody can play that so um, I immediately felt connected to what they were doing in more of a live formula and a live format. Um, and uh, at the same time, I was trying to be really humble and just be like, look, I'm just happy to be here. You know what I mean? I drove up here to jam with these guys and I'm going to go back down you know, to L.A. and I'll do whatever I got, whatever I'm doing down there. I, I was uh, still kind of working with Ozzy at the time. but. But it was just an honor to come up here and play these songs with these guys. And that's, that was it for me. It was like, as long as I can do that, I'm happy. You know what I mean? And uh, luckily it worked out. And it was You played the perfect hand. That. I mean, I'm so glad that yeah. was documented because it was a lesson in all aspiring musicians on how to do it, right? Be a master at your craft and then crouch at the bar and wait well, to be invited. One thing I need to say, though, is, is in being in a band like Metallica, it requires a lot more than just being able to play the songs. You've got to get along with, with your people, you know, and you've got to understand how to gauge the territory. Oh, that's even way more complicated. It's been so it, well documented. It, it is, you guys yeah. were far from there yourselves. You were going through effectively a, a real transition personally as a band. Yeah, and it was a challenging time, so I was able to adapt to that just for whatever reason. The other bands and other situations I had been in were also very challenging. You know, I was working with Ozzy at a time when he was, you know, he was, uh, he wasn't maybe drinking all the time, but maybe there was some pills involved or whatever. He was not sober. Zach Wilde was definitely out of his mind. And then in the suicidal camp, you know, Rocky, a guitar player, uh, is, you know, I'm sure Kirk can attest to, he was a wild man. I think there was even a fight where he and I, Rocky and I physically fought on stage during a Metallica show by James's guitars. I tackled him and I were about a foot from 
poor James's guitars. Luckily, uh, nothing got damaged. But th this is what was going on in my life. So I learned to understand personalities and how to try to create balance, you know, just in that sort of universe alone. So me joining Metallica, I could bring that as sort of, uh, you know, a, a, I guess an ingredient that I could offer beyond the music. And not to over-pathologize too, but at that point, we were in kind of life coaching, therapy, all of that. You know, there was, there was depth, a lot more depth than, you know, hey, he's, you know, let's listen to a tape of another guitar player. Yeah, yeah he's pretty cool. Call him in. He's in the band. You know, it, it wasn't, we were a lot more complex and there yeah. was a lot more, you know, there were lots of different lives. So for Robert to come in and uh, display such a feeling of groundedness uh, and it, it was so comforting at that time. He's a grown-up. He, yeah, finally, there's a grown-up in the room. Sometimes. And, um, <laughs> you know, trying to find someone who fits in, it's, it's not easy when you're at a point where we were at, at that time. You know, he's got to be our age. He's got to know, you know, our musical histories. You know, there's plenty of bands that have, are well-established, you need, you know, 30 or 40 years into their career, and they get a, like a young, hot guitar player from LA. It's like, there's, mm, it's like getting a, you know, girlfriend that's way too young. It's like, this is not, what do we have in common? It's like creepy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, you know, but he, he had the, the chops, the history, the touring experience, and like he's saying, the, the uh, neutrality in the, uh, the room of drama. Well, you're an emotionally intelligent human and you had to be in order to join the band at that time because you'd all unraveled. It's so funny that a lot is made about um, within that time frame of, of the work you had to do, James. But what I always took from that time frame was that each of you were in tandem doing your own work. You were on a different spiritual quest. Yep. Definitely. You had, you had made lifestyle changes that you were now starting to get into the rhythm of. And you were also developing a new sense, from what I could tell, of real compassion, openness and listening and trying to kind of, again, explore your own sense of emotional intelligence, which you can't do when you're touring black album it's not on the table right everyone like Lars was saying earlier you know you want to be young you know everyone wants you to stay young and be young that's what you you're not for. encouraged you're not encouraged to grow up no. in this the, in this there's money in stupidity yeah but it was also the first time we took a long enough breath to just sit there and actually look at it because and, and then you could argue that the reason we ended up in that situation was, you know, in retrospect, we had never really checked in with each other yeah. for 20 years. Yeah. Of course, hey, how you doing? But not really like, how, how are, are you doing? doing? What's going on? Where are you at? Where are we at? What's, what's going on here emotionally? How are we connecting? How is what we're doing affecting the individual? It was like this Metallica juggernaut just and rolling across the land, just taking no prisoners. And, and I watched you struggle with it, dude. Even that, you know, you're just like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, come yeah. Come on. Are we ready? Are we ready? Are we ready? Are we ready? And eventually the drumming slows down, the stillness sets in, and it's like, okay. But so it was definitely a, a transitional period, and, and Rob came in and added an, agreed, added an ingredient that I don't think we actually realized that we needed until after he'd been on board for a little while. Do you know what I mean? And, and that, I think that's a key thing. When we sit now, it's interesting to hear the different reflections on this, but obviously it's all instinctual. You know, when you're, okay, we gotta go on tour, we're finishing a record, our producers played bass on this record, blah, 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 we got dates, okay. Uh, let's call this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. They all show up, they're all gracious, they're all engaged, and then now we gotta make a decision. Your instinct tells you it's the right thing. All of a sudden, these things are there. Like James said, it, it sort of played out differently than most of us expected. But again, you're rolling the dice. It's easier to sit here now 20 years later and go, this all worked out great. Um, but at that time, it was a seriously crazy uh, time of transition because we had never taken a time out. We'd never checked in with each other subsequently by checking in with each other, then all these uh, unraveling of the onions and different things started happening. And, and then uh, we were off to the races for a few years and then came a very experimental record out of that that certainly 
was the right thing at that time for us in terms of, of moving forward. But of course, in retrospect, has a, a sort of an unusual the way it fits into the sort of the arc of Metallica. You're talking about St. Anger? Yeah. I love and, that you know, And I love many elements of it too, but it was a very, it was a very transitional record and, and it obviously was a very experimental record. But it feels like the, the brunt, the results of, of all the work that we were doing in 2000 to 2003, four really started coming into fruition when we sat down to, to do Death Magnetic in like 06, 07, because that's when the energy within the band had settled. That's when it, it started coming to a place where there was, felt like there was a unity and, mm -hmm. and bringing in Rick Rubin and there was a whole set of things that happened at that time. But it was a, it was a very interesting time and it's really interesting to hear you talk just about your perspective and in, in depth about you know what that was like right there when when mm -hmm. the call came you know what's interesting is that i actually i think about the history of the band and i think about what i witnessed when i spent the four days with you in san rafael around the finishing of saint anger which was when i first got to see phil and see what was happening before the movie came out you know this guy coming up to me and saying to me hey you know i'm not just here for the band if you're here on site i'm here for you too if you want to do a session i'm like dude i am <laughs> not ready for this <laughs> you know and I'm, and I'm experiencing it all firsthand to some degree. And James, the work that you had to do, to me, was an untangling of the identity that, that really, that this, the costume that you put on that got heaviest when you got most successful. And the Black Album being an essential turning point in that, where it became, you were so much bigger up front than you had been before. Your personality, I guess, had to reflect that, right? You had to be there for people, which, in a weird way, that trade becomes imbalanced. It stops being an equal trade between fan and artist, and it becomes far more one way. Is that fair to say? Very well put. Uh, they, I, there was such an expectation already on myself to, to not let the team down and be the best as possible. But then you add you know, 60,000 people out there. Every you know, night. You need to be what they need you to be, because this is, what you've evolved to be and it is you know a little bit of Oz like the man behind the curtain you know pay no attention uh, but this guy behind the curtain is just dying and struggling and freaking out and not knowing who he is and you know I the word unraveling is a, is a great is a great word like unlearning <laughs> unlearning all of what happened before and being you know that was a part of me for sure but it dominated, it dominated all of me. And um, the, the parts that weren't happy about me, the code, you know, there's a huge codependence and insecurity, a lot of, a lot of that, that, gosh, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no good without these guys, you know, who am I, you know, off tours, like, who am I? Oh, you I know? never want the tour to end, because guess what? When the applause stops, I don't know who I am. Right. Well, like a, like any first responder or football player or even a soldier, you take your uniform off and you're a civilian again. And who am I? I don't know who I am. There was a lot of a lot of fear in that. Yeah, the album itself, a lot was made. You know, in, after the record came out, was successful. People love a drama. That there was, you know, I think those key moments in the documentary of just like you sing it, da da da. But what I love is no one ever puts the laugh at the end. And I know it was a tense moment. It's like you want to sing the song, you sing it, and then there's a laugh, and you go, no. But seriously, no one ever puts that bit in. They just wanted the drama <laughs> of it, right? They just wanted to yeah, show cut. that cut, yeah. right? Cut, cut, cut. <laughs> that literally compared to the Saint Anger era felt almost joyous to watch that movie again in a strange way. Yeah, but it's also, I mean, it, I think you have to remember, there was no social media at the time. Nobody was uh, televising to the world what they were having for breakfast every day. Yeah. And so there hadn't really been an insight yeah. into, you know, the way that the cameras ended up being a part of that whole journey for two years. First of all, it wasn't planned. It wasn't like, oh, Let's document what's going to happen the next two years in the ensuing yeah. show. I mean, that wasn't the plan. It was, they're going to come out, we're making a new record. Joe Berlinger and, and Bruce are going to come out and sort of document what we're doing. We'll maybe make an infomercial. It'll be on after the guy with the Ginsu knives and whatever else at 2 o'clock <laughs> in the morning. You know, Metallica has a new album, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, that whole fucking breakdown started happening in front of the cameras. Yeah. And then they ended up sticking around to sort of document, you know, and, and, and get the arc of it. But nobody, but nobody had seen, 
nobody had had that kind of access Correct. to a rock and roll band. This is 22 years ago. Whatever. Nobody had ever seen. That moment and, when you agree, sorry, but I'm so with you on this. <laughs> that moment when you agree and you go, let's stick with this. I'm just gonna say, man, I've wanted to say it to you for a long time. That was the moment when I think the conversation changed for the arts, for music, and for the desire to actually be transparent and not hide behind the curtain every night and not put on the superhero costume. Yeah. And actually, it needed the toughest guy <laughs> to make the biggest statement. Ironically, yeah. Showing your vulnerability is the toughest thing you can do, absolutely. Well, I think, you, you know, people forget it sort of, it, obviously 20 years later, it's like there's a couple sound bites in there like you're saying, ha, 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 and, you know, the therapist is handing the singer lyrics and, and all that type of stuff. But it really was um, an incredible, I mean, the project in itself was very, I think, ahead of its time. Mm. And, you know, when the, the movie came out, you know, the biggest uproar was in the world of rock and roll because nobody had ever, seen had ever seen anything like that. Now in, in documentary film, in the film world, yeah. the whole film world embraces, go, this is a great, you know, it's a, among the best documentaries. It's got, you know, all documentaries that succeed have a natural art to them. And obviously it wasn't really a movie about a rock and roll band. Yeah. It was a movie about relationships. And, and so, but it was set against the world of rock and roll, but everybody in music were like, that's way too much access. That's way too much transparency. No before. We don't want to see You're this. You're showing yet. the card tricks. Yeah, we yeah, don't want musicians. We don't uh, want to see that. Well, the only know? the natural reaction we have to that because we're scared and we don't know how we feel. And by the way, it points a mirror at me, and I don't know what I'm exactly. gonna, what's this going to unravel in me. So, by the way, uh, you know, no one wants to see you crying. Like, come on, man, you're in a rock band. Come on, your dreams have come true. Like, come on, man, no. Nah, that was never going to last because you started this ball rolling in a, in a really meaningful way and artists needed to find that voice to be able to say, hey, the trade is off. If you're going to be a mentor or role model for younger bands, why wouldn't you put that out? This is what it. really happens. You know, we're 40 years into this, you know, so it's the first 20 years. This is simplifying it, obviously, but the first 20 years and the second 20 years. But where we are now, and the love and the respect that exists between us and the gratitude and the appreciation we have, we just talked about it before, uh, just for all this incredible adulation and so on, we wouldn't be equipped to deal with that if we hadn't gone through that whole chill 20 years ago, do you know what I mean? And so all the, 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 the results of, of all of that have really come to fruition, starting with Death Magnetic in 07, 08, and now continues to be such a big presence in the good energy and the goodwill that exists. And, and I will say, like I find myself saying all the time when you talk about this movie, even though Phil was made out to be the villain, you know, because for dramatic purposes, we wouldn't be sitting here in a band talking to you if he hadn't done what he did. I agree. And, and, and he really was an instrumental part in getting us to open up and talk about this and start us on the path that we're now on 20 years later on these two couches. So how does it feel then as a band now, as you, as you, you know, as we you speed towards a 40 year anniversary of, of, of forming the band, as a band that to your point, James, has never been nostalgic ever really, to reflect upon starting with the Black Album, to have that time and space to think about that, different people all together. What do you see in, in these conversations and in this process of reviewing and renewing it? I feel connection. I feel the fact that people are are grateful for that album that Big it happened. Time. You know, I don't. I didn't see it then. I I see it a little bit now, but it's still just the thing we had to do. And you know, we come in and we do our interviews, and there's a lot of, you know, again, we've been away from this for a couple of years, like all the kind of sparkly, ooh, you're so good, you know, just <laughs> like, what? This is weird, you know, we're just, we're just playing music, man. You know, I love the fact that I, I absolutely know in my heart of hearts that that album happened for a reason. It couldn't happen again. It was there, it was then. All of the things that were happening at, at the time it all happened because of those things too. It was us who played it. 
it could have been somebody else, but we're grateful that it's us and we were there to accept the challenge and we had no clue. We had no clue. I mean, I'm outside having a smoke and the guy out there, you know, giving, uh, um, you know, sodas and stuff to people. He's like, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm like a little girl right now. Oh my God, that album helped me change my life. And I wouldn't have heard that before. And I understand it now and, and know that the four of us sitting here still, it's a blessing, it's absolute blessing. And him saying that is a blessing too. So with, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not about us, it's, it's about all of it. It's about everything, everyone who made this possible, Bob Rocks, the, the everyone that was around at the time, even the bands that were, you know, challenging us, you know, in the studio next door, you know, we gotta be better than them and all that. There's so much that goes into it. And you can't make it up. You couldn't make that up. You couldn't recreate that. It happened. And I'm grateful that we're here after 30 years celebrating it. When Cliff passed away, it was really clear from the way that you moved forward as a band that he was forever going to be a member of the band and the legacy of the band, not just in the time that he was in the band, that you would carry his influence through all the music that you made. And you, you, you put him front and center right next to you everywhere you went. With some of the other members of the band, I think in the past, there was a sense of like, you leave, we're done. And I wonder now as you get to a point, at this point in your lives, with the spell being broken over the last couple of years and all the work you've done as a unit, whether you can think differently about that, about someone like Jason and what he represented to, to, to Metallica, especially when you're thinking about an album like the Black Album, he's not here to talk about it today, mm -hmm. but what, what, what he means to the band. Absolutely. You know, my, my theory now is I could love anybody, really, at the end of the day. You get to know them. You get to know where they've come from. You understand where their parents came from. All of that. How are you, you? I can accept that. I can really accept that. Um, there was more to be revealed. I mean, really. He, he was at a point where he was at. We were at a point where we were at. It happened because it happened. If it was like that right now, say, you know, Robert comes and says, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done here. I, you know, I don't know. We would, we would fight. We would fight or I would fight for him. You know, mm. I didn't know about the fight back then, <laughs> you know. I mean, if you think about it, Jason is the only member of Metallica who's ever left willingly. And that as a self in itself is a statistic. Yeah. Um, and the resentment from James and I was just so you can't you can't do that yeah you know you can only leave if we want you to leave or and then we weren't equipped at the time to do a deep dive into why he was leaving and so of course now you can say 20 years later it makes complete sense but okay we write the songs we make the decisions we do all of it you have no creative outlet in this band you have no creative voice and then when you go and do something that gives you satisfaction and a way for you to express yourself to the rest of the world, then we get pissed at you. And then that resentment then goes to you leaving the band. I mean, that's kind of, you know, psychiatry 101 here, but we weren't equipped to, to see that side of it 20 years later. So now it makes complete sense. Jason gave 14 years uh, every day, every performance, uh, he was there always. I mean, we, we always used to joke. It's like, he's so fired up. Come on, dude, sl slow down. You know, he was the first guy and last guy out. He was signing autographs, you know, when we were driving by waving <laughs> on the way out of the buildings. I mean, he, he really was. And I now have finally equipped to appreciate every moment that he give and, and that he gave and and we have i think so much respect for each other now so much appreciation uh 10 years ago when we did the 30th anniversaries uh when he came up and played four nights uh, with us at, at the four Fillmore shows played two nights with us uh you know seeing rob and him together up there but you know that felt like it was the beginning of the thawing of of where we are now but he's been 
a very integral part of the reissue and the re-release and has done you know, interviews and, and been very, very helpful. He did the unboxing of the mm -hmm. box for the, 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 for the cameras and the whole thing. And I mean, he's been so gracious. And it's great for everyone. That's the thing, right? Sometimes when people leave bands, you feel like you've got to do more for one side or the other in order to make peace. But peace only comes when everybody's heart is full. And you're able to say like, I get it now, I get it now. Well, I always got it, but I appreciate you do. And now we can come together and we can figure this out. And it is, this is about life. This is the craziest thing about Metallica is that we focus on the records, but 40 years is an exercise in life lived and ongoing. Love, loss, life, death, having it in your hands, nearly losing it. You guys have been through it all. And it's a life story, isn't it? Not a big story. It is a, a life story. story. And set in a setting of extremes, you know, where you're going really far, farther than other people would normally go, or or even shallower. You know, we we were in such denial at times, you know, because of all everything else is fine. I'm not going to pay attention to this. Like yeah. Lars was talking about relationships. Yeah, we don't have to work a relationship. We're good, you know, and we're not. You know, all obviously the Jason, all the unresolved stuff from Cliff that Jason had to be kind of the target for, you know? We see that now, and yeah. I love that we've created music together, but we've also just grown up together, and we're still growing up. We're still teachable, and we're still learning from each other. One thing I have to say about Jason is that he was there for us, 100%. In a real, real dark time, he was like a real positive light in that that those few months just right after cliff's passing i mean it was a, a pretty dark time and you know it, we were just kind of like uh i don't know and kind of like a mental weird mental state you know we weren't really old enough and experienced enough to like digest you know the whole whole thing with cliff and we, we didn't have any mentors, you know, I didn't have like a, a role model in my life to like tell me how to deal with, you know, passing of, of such a, a close dear friend. I don't think any of us did. And then here came Jason, he was such a bundle of energy and light and positivity and, and forward momentum. And we really needed that at that time. And you know, Sure, in retrospect, you know, we were hugging him, but we we're also pushing him away at the well, same time. Well, he became the punching bag. Yeah, he it was a weird, bag it was a weird thing, you know. We love you and we hate you. We love you, we hate you. We love you, we hate you. We love I you, mean, but you're not Cliff. You're not yeah. Cliff. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was all that. But man, I, I have to say, you know, I got to give Jason so much credit because like in those, those eight or nine months, I mean, when we were just trying, you know, pulling ourselves out of that hole. He was there for us and he was a stabilizing force, man. You know, and he really, he was there for us when we needed him. You know, you've all been there for each other in time. And that's the thing that's so beautiful about this story is that each of you have found a way to support one another and grow individually through that experience, as hard as that is. You're still making fire fucking records. Like the last album I put on again yesterday when I was driving back and I was like, holy shit, Hardwired doesn't fucking stop. <laughs> so as we near the end of our time, I, I, I've got a really clear pathway forward and it starts with this. Where are we at with music? And I don't want that classic Lars. You know, we're always thinking about music. You know, we're always working out ideas. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think we ever stop making music as Metallica. It's just finishing. It's the problem so anyway that's that's wow that's pretty good of a day wow that's pretty good we can now wrap so let me tell you saying you know where there's always just music um i mean listen we haven't been out of the house for a year and a half and so it's uh it's very rejuvenating um and and the last couple two three days as we've played Played with Miley yesterday. Played with Miley today. Uh, you're kind of getting your uh, getting your groove back, getting your spunk back, getting your confidence back, getting the band back together. Yeah, man. So you're discovering the fun. Yeah, and because yeah. um, that's what it looks like when you guys are on fire. It looks like the most fun thing to do. Yeah, yeah but uh, you listen. I don't know 
I know everybody's had a different version of obviously the last 18 months. It's impacted all of us in different ways, but sitting still, as you know, is not my forte. It's not great, not great and, for the artistic spirit. <laughs> right. And uh, so, it, it, you know, just getting out again and, and getting amongst it is so fucking re-energizing. And, um, you know, it, it, the last couple of days, I mean, like James said earlier, like celebrating the, 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 the legacy of this record, so on, is it's kind of cool, but still it's like a little like, okay, well, What's what next? about the future? What about the future? I just get too, I mean, obviously, ultimately, you like the seesaw element of it, the, 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 the balance, but still, it's like, let's get on with it. Let's go play some shows. Let's get on with our fall. Let's hope that, that we can get through the next few months without anybody going down, you know, keep our fingers crossed. Let's yeah. be cautious. Let's be respectful of, of the situation out there. And, and of course, there's new music coming. There's always new music coming. New music is what he, keeps he, us He can't alive. help you hear that. He had to slide into that. DJ's, I mean, we're always making new music. You it know? keeps us alive. You know that. I'm greedy. I'm greedy. But I'm respectful of the need to, for the boundaries you've set. You know? And I think that fans are now. I think that, that idea of us getting used to the Metallica juggernaut, I think we all now accept and acknowledge that a happy and healthy bunch of guys is a much better trade than yeah, listen, another and, and album. I, listen, I wish I could, t I mean, of course there's new music, I mean, but I, there's nothing cohesive, there's not a story, there's not, a, there's not anything to really back it up yet. I mean, it's, it's, it's the four of us connecting through music and through you know, some new music, some older music, some okay, nothing else matters, awesome, you know, Miley covers and digesting the blacklist and... Yeah, let's talk about the blacklist for a second. All we have of it. To, I mean, we have to for a second. because all of it. You everybody, know? you know, so many people showed up and showed what that record means to them in so many different shades and styles. You know, what Annie Clark, what St. Vincent did versus, you know... Um, what Rodrigo E. Gabriela did versus, you know, what you did, what Miley did with Alton and pulled the whole thing in and gave it another level. So how was that experience watching an album which has existed in a, a architectural blueprint for so long get completely torn to shreds? It's amazing. Yeah. It's so great, at least for me. Yeah. You know, just to see all the various different interpretations, the individuality, the musical personality being put into all these songs. You know, and these are songs you, that, that all of us are used to hearing a certain way, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like an explosion of yeah. all these different types of versions. And I'm, 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 I'm amazed. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I mean, there's been cover versions of Metallica songs for just about since the Black Album came out. We were talking the other day about, uh, I remember around 92, 93, there was a German EDM band called Die Krups yeah. that started doing some EDM versions of like Sandman and a few of the other songs. Yeah. And it was like, holy f really? Like nobody, we weren't prepared for that part of it. And subsequently, bluegrass and lullaby and, you know, Korean death metal the compilation albums and 12 Spanish bands do uh, their take on Reload or whatever. I mean, there's been... a endless slew of of, of yeah. this stuff and some of it interesting some of it maybe slightly less interesting but always we're uh, we're very appreciative but we've never curated any of it it's always been stuff done by the artists themselves yeah this was the first time where we kind of said maybe we could invite a few uh artist peers who we know uh have where metallica's had a a, a a, a part in their growth, a part in who they are. And that started on a very small scale, and then it just went nuclear, and 53 artists later, I mean, you have this smorgasbord of, yeah. of this incredible- It's so diverse. And it's, I mean, and that is really the key thing, it's diversity. Yeah. All genres, all countries, yeah. all parts of the world, all styles, tastes, approaches, Gender. I mean, it's just everything that it, it to me. It's so 2021. Did it surprise? Because the key word is diversity. Diversity. Yeah. Did, did it just did it surprise you even after this amount of time? Just how your music can be perceived and recontextualized, which ultimately is a mirror reflection on how somebody who's a completely separate musician is inspired by what you do. That it's as much as you've done for heavy metal. And let's be very clear: you went from being the only ad in that paper 
to making it a global, <laughs> humongous, the wonderful sound bite right thing. There. Right? <laughs> From the one ad to the rest of the world. To the rest of the world. And there's no other way to put it, James. That's just how it is. Right? That is it in a nutshell. But putting that to one side, you know, seeing how far the music goes with musicians who don't play heavy metal, who don't understand the energy of that. Well, earlier, when we were playing with Miley and Elton John was on a Zoom call and he says, that's one of the, nothing else matters, one of the most beautiful melodies and kind of, I guess, ballad love songs written. And I, I you know, it's like bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. No way, there's no way this man is saying that who wrote, you know, you know Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. I mean, the, oh my God, candle in the wind, come on. You know, are you sure, <laughs> you know? A, a huge compliment, and I will take it for what it is. From the recycler to the recycling of the Black Album, you know. Nice. These people have—that's mm-hmm. great. They wow. have digested this, the song, as you say. You know, they 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 can take the the heavy metal ingredient out of it, and go. This this song is cool. Here's melodies. Here's what happens. Here, I'm going to take this. I'm going to swallow it. Yeah. And I'm going to sh- out my way. You yeah. know. And they did. They did not phone them in. They 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 put work into these things. That is the most that's honorable called fear, thing. my friend. Because what you don't want to do is put your name out in front of Metallica fans and not do something that is unique, authentic, or brilliant. If because there's no way you're gonna match the power. There's no way you're gonna match the authenticity. So you gotta do it your way. It's the only way. Otherwise, it's a very very hard. Fall. And that's what we do. Mm-hmm. We do it our way. They did it their way. Beautiful. Well, guess what? You're doing it entirely your way now. And what I love is the fact that what started out as an independent operation became probably the largest, well, I don't think probably you were the, you were the, the most profitable organization in music for probably two decades, making a lot of people a lot of money, and then you're out. And now you're independent again. And now you get to run your own thing to some degree. And I wonder how that experience has felt. Having control of, you know, having the rights back and having some control to be able to make decisions as, as with what you've learned. Well, it's uh, chasing the carrot of autonomy and, and just living in our own bubble, not having to answer anybody, not having to owe anybody anything, not having to, through that, uh, giving them access to have you know, input into what we're doing. And it's being able to look the fans in the eye and go, whether you like it or not, it's 100% us. Yeah. I mean, talk about hit the lights 40 years ago. I mean, that is the spirit of how the band started. Exactly so my that point. part of it has come full circle. Uh, and it's a great, um, it's a great you know, position to be in. I mean, it, and, and now obviously uh, at a time when, when the word freedom has so many different meanings to so many different people, you know, for us, the freedom to just be able to do what we want, how we want, when we want, without having to answer or, or do it to anybody else's timelines or anything, that is ultimately the greatest uh, benefit of the success that we've achieved. And I think that the way we've been able to set it up for ourselves, we, we put into place um, a, a, a setup or system that is the most promising for longevity. I mean, we, we, we may be able to ride this out, you know, physical ailments aside, uh, hopefully for another 20, 30 years because of the way we've kind of set it up because in that comes the space to uh, finally respect the individual, respect the individual needs, be uh, respectful of schedules and, and, and so on and so forth and find a way to make it work. There's a lot of resources that go into that, but ultimately it makes the band healthy, and a healthy band has the biggest chance of longevity. So my last question, gentlemen, and this has been such a wonderful day for me, is um, if you could have seen into the future, when, and this is kind of for the three of you, because Rob, when you join, things were already moving forward, and you would have seen like you'll be here in 40 years and you'll, you'll still be together and you would have been through this life and you've gone through what you've gone through. Would you have done it? Would you have stuck it out? 
Would you have signed up right away? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. It's, it's been more than worth it. I mean, just in terms of like just experience and growth and just like, you know, <laughs> experiencing the human condition, you know, to the fullest. Yeah. No regrets. What is this Metallica experiencing the human condition? Was this? Come on. <laughs> so you, are you saying this was just like a, all, all a, like a scientific experiment? This is a... It's an illusion. <laughs> a rare moment to spend time with all four members of Metallica lined up and, and surprisingly unintimidating, actually. I was nervous because, man, just hanging out with James Hadfield is... Woo! That guy. What a charismatron. He walks in the room and you know it. Everybody feels that energy. But having all four members there, it was just a really beautiful moment. So I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please add a comment or a rating. Always great to follow up and read these comments and see what you're saying. For better or for worse. All right, thanks again. We're back next week.